Welcome to Torat Imecha, Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Leah Herzog, and today we will be studying Sefer Amos, the Book of Amos, Perak Aleph, Chapter 1. Sefer Amos begins as follows. Divrei Amos asher haya banokdim mitekoa, asher chaza al Yisrael bimei Uzia melech Yehuda, ובימי ירובם בן יואש, מלך ישראל, שנתיים לפני הרעש. The words of Amos, a sheep reader from Tekoa, who prophesied concerning Israel in the reigns of King Uzziah of Judah and Jeroboam the son of Joash of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Sefer Amos is the third Sefer, or book, in the collection known as Trei Asal, which literally means twelve, and is often referred to as the Minor Prophets. Minor, however, does not mean less important. It means that these prophets' works are shorter than those of the three major prophets whom you have already studied, Yeshayahu, Yirmiyahu, and Yechezkel. Amos is listed by the Gemara in Tractate Bavabatra as one of Arba Shenib'u Be'oto Perik, the four prophets who lived and prophesied during the same time period. The other three are Hoshea and Yeshayahu, whom you have already studied, and Micha, who is to come. This is the time towards the end of Malchut Yisrael, the kingdom of the north, and the time between Uzziah's and Chizkiyahu's reign in Malchut Yehuda, the kingdom of the south. In addition to these four Nevi'im, these four prophets that deal with this time period, we also learn about it in Sefer Melachim Bet, the book of Second Kings, and in Divrei Hayamim, Chronicles. When Amos was the prophet, the northern kingdom was slowly disintegrating from within. The gap between the wealthy and the poor was huge. The people were morally bankrupt, and social injustice was out of control. Israel's northern neighbor, Aram, alternates between being an ally and an enemy, before it falls to the mighty Assyrian Empire. The kingdom of Judah seems to be doing better religiously, but under the surface it too is morally and religiously crumbling. The Churban, the destruction of the first temple, is still more than 150 years away. The kings mentioned in verse 1 of the book of Amos are Uzziah, the king of Yehudah, the southern kingdom, and Yeravam ben Yoash, king of Yisrael, the northern kingdom. We are therefore in a pretty peaceful time in both kingdoms, and this actually makes Amos's job as a prophet even harder. Uzziah is referred to in 2 Kings chapters 14 and 15 as Azariah or Azariahu, and he is referred to as a righteous king, one who does hayashar be'enei Hashem, the correct or right thing in the eyes of God, except that he does not remove the bamot, the personal altars. Divrei Hayamim, the book of Chronicles, the second book in chapter 26, describes Uzziah's tremendous successes in expanding the borders, fortifying towns, and investing in agriculture. The Gemara's take on Uzziah, however, is a little more ambivalent. It seems that he focused too much on the material, and this led 
to some degree of hubris. Uziah ended up getting tsara'at, or leprosy, which, according to the account in Chronicles chapter 26, was a punishment for him entering the Kodesh, the holy section of the temple, to offer up the ketorat, the incense, to Hashem. This was the province only of the priests. Even though Uziah reigned for 52 years, his son Yotam actually ruled as his regent for many of them. Nevertheless, it is a time of strength and stability within Malchut Yehuda, the southern kingdom. Yeravam ben Yoash was the third king in the Yehu line. In Melachim Bet, 2 Kings chapter 9, Yehu was anointed by Elisha the prophet and promised a legacy of four generations. Yeravam ben Yoash's rule was also long, 41 years, and by political standards, extremely successful. He extended the border of the kingdom both northward and seaward, and he was able to keep both major enemies, Aram and Ashur, Assyria, at bay. Yonah the prophet also intersected with Yeravam, prophesying Yeravam's success. And while B'nai Israel were falling further and further into their evil ways and coming closer and closer to their destruction, Hashem was still not ready to lower the final boom. As it says in Malachim Bet, Kings 2, chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, Ki ra'a Hashem et oni Yisrael more me'od, ve'efes atzur, ve'efes azuv, ve'en ozer li Yisrael. For the Lord saw the very bitter plight of Israel, with neither bond nor free left, and with none left to help them. Velo diber Hashem limchot et shem Yisrael mitachat ha-shamayim, v'yoshi'em b'yad Yeravam ben Yoash. And the Lord resolved not to blot out the name of Israel from under the heaven, and he delivered them through Yerabam ben Yoash. This backdrop to Amos's prophecies can help us understand what he is addressing and why the people ignore and scoff at his prophecies. As a matter of fact, we will see later in the book that Amos is even accused of being a traitor to the king. In Perek Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, chapter 1, verse 1, Amos is identified as being Banokdim, among the shepherds or the sheep breeders. Amos joins a long line of shepherds who become prophets, such as the three patriarchs, Moshe and David. The Ketav HaKabalah, in discussing Hevel, the son of Adam, who was the first shepherd, says that being a shepherd allows one to be alone, to be outside in nature, to be able to have time and space, free of distractions of city life, to contemplate the universe and its creator. The Rabbeinu Bechaye, in discussing Moshe becoming a prophet, also refers to shepherding as the minhag tzadikim rishonim, the practice of the early righteous ones. There's an interesting debate about whether Amos was a sheep owner or breeder or just a shepherd. The Ibn Ezra says that he was actually a sheep owner, using a verse from Second Kings that describes Mesha, who is the king of Moab, also as an okade, a sheep owner. 
The Rambam, Maimonides, asserts that a Navi, a prophet, has to be wealthy so that he is not distracted by the need to work. The Abarbanel, on the other hand, asserts that Amos was a simple shepherd and that a prophet can be anyone who is spiritually capable and whom Hashem chooses. Either way one looks at it, Amos was qualified to speak to his audience. If he was a sheep owner, breeder, and rich, he was the equal of the upper class. If he was poor, he could be totally understood and totally understand the lower classes. However, as a Navi, he waged an uphill battle to get people to listen to him and also to change. The structure of Perak Aleph of chapter 1, as well as a good chunk of chapter 2, is designed to catch people's attention. It is deliberately and rhetorically stylized. Amos uses numbers that are meaningful to his listeners, threes, fours, and sevens, and engages in repetition. And he really gets people's attention by beginning with predicting doom and destruction on their enemies. Each section, and there are five of these sections in chapter 1, begin with the same words. Ko amar Hashem al shlosha pish'e blank ve'al arba'a lo ashivenu. So says Hashem, three sins I will tolerate, but the fourth I will not forgive. According to many commentaries, the three sins that Hashem tolerates amongst all of the enemy nations are the big three, avodazara, idolatry, gilui arayot, adultery, and shvichut damim, murder. Hashem tolerates the same three sins from B'nai Yisrael for a long time until he can't. It is the fourth sin for each nation, however, that Hashem deems unforgivable. This unforgivable sin is always ben adam l'chavero, between man and man, and it is always an example of egregious cruelty. Amos talks first about Damesek, which is Aram. Aram was occasionally an ally, but mostly a persistent enemy of both the northern and southern kingdoms. Aram's unforgivable sin is mentioned in Pasuk Gimel. Because they threshed Gilad with threshing boards of iron. The enemy was excessively cruel, using iron rods to torture people by scraping off their flesh. We are familiar with this form of torture because it is what the Romans used to kill Rabbi Akiva. The Plishtim, the Philistines, whom Amos refers to as Aza, one of their key cities, turned Jewish refugees over to other enemies. Al-Haglotam gelut shlema lahaskir le'edom. For they exiled a complete exile to turn them over to Edom. Rashi, amongst other commentaries, says that this is actually referring to the time of Bayachani, the second temple, more than 700 years into the future when the Jewish refugees trying to escape Rome to get to the coast were captured by the Philistines and turned back over to the Roman Empire. The third nation is Tzor, Tyre, or Lebanon, 
and this nation violated a centuries-long covenant made between King Shlomo and their king Hiram. Edom and Ammon's sins also involve excessive cruelty in war. Edom is identified by Chazal as Rome and by later commentaries as the church writ large. The cruelty of Rome and the church towards their enemies is well documented in both Jewish and general historical sources. Amos delivers vivid descriptions of catastrophically harsh punishments that Hashem will unleash on each of these enemy nations. These punishments include palaces and cities destroyed by fire, the ruin of ruling powers, the devastation of the lands, and the death and exile of the populations. All of these are punishments from Hashem for the enemies' excessive harshness towards B'nai Israel. With each ko-amar Hashem, so says Hashem, with each repetition, with each al-shlosha ve'al-arba'a lo-ashivenu, three sins I will tolerate, but the fourth I will not. The crowd around Amos likely grew, and word of his preaching spread and with each promise of vengeance of, on long time and harsh enemies, the roar of approval from the crowd lightly, likely intensified and swelled. It is only in the next chapter of the Sefer, Perik Bet, chapter 2, once Amos really has the people's attention, that he tells them what their own sins are, and what Hashem has in store for them, if they don't do teshuva, if they don't do repentance, and change their ways. We will discuss Perik Bet in our next recording. Thank you for studying together with me today. Le'ilui nishmat Riva Schwab Rivka Bat Alexander Sender.